Don't you open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be picking up where we were before we went off for a couple of weeks. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll be looking at verses 11 through 13, the signs of a true apostle today. The church in Corinth was really in disarray, according to 1st and 2nd Corinthians. Man following was rampant, false apostles, false pastors, false teachers running amok over the flock. They were leading people into sin. They were approving of sin by all appearances. And most of this problem, most of the problems they were having, though, could be cured if they, they stuck to the word of God and judged everything, both people and teachings and actions, according to sound biblical judgment. And that's really what Second Corinthians is teaching in a nutshell, to not be led astray by all these different whims and waves of doctrine, but to be focused on God and upon his word. Uh, this is a problem that continues to this very day. We don't always see it that way, but... In the churches as a whole, there are many te- people teaching strange doctrines, teaching the, the God of their imaginations, and there are many people accommodating what the people want to hear and never preaching a disturbing message to anyone. And there's no conviction of sin, there's no possibility of offense. And we have the same problems, really, that they do just in a slightly different packaging today. And so it's important for us to really consider where the teachings are coming from, where the teachers are coming from, what their life is like, that we might judge wisely. Uh, Let us go ahead and read the whole chapter, since we've been in chapter 13 for the last two weeks in another church. Let us read chapter 12 to remind us of our context So 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go into visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. I know that this man was caught up to paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast, except of my weakness. Even if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more highly of me than what he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecution, 
and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have been a fool. You forced me to it. For I ought to have been commended by you. For I was not at all inferior to these super apostles, even though I am nothing. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with utmost patience, with signs and wonders and mighty works. For in that, what were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not burden you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be a burden. For I seek not what is yours, but you. For children are not obligated to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be spent for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But granting that I myself did not burden you, I was crafty, you say, and got the better of you by deceit. But did I take advantage of you through any of those whom I sent to you? I urged Titus to go to you and sent him with sent the brothers with him. Did Titus take advantage of you? Did we not act in the same spirit? Did we not take the same steps? Have you been thinking all along that we have been defending ourselves to you? It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may not find you as I wish, and you may not find me as you wish. And perhaps there may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. I fear that when I come again, my God may humble me before you, and I may have to mourn over many of those who sinned earlier and have not repented of impurity, sexual immorality, and sensuality that they have practiced. And the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come together in your house, to open your word, to consider the things that it has to teach us, we pray, Lord, that you would still our hearts from the cares of the world, that you would open our eyes to see, our ears to hear, and our hearts to receive, that we might be transformed by the truth of your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So in verse 13, he turns, or verse 11 through 13, he turns again to these super apostles and the defense of his own apostleship, and why are you following these men and not the truth? Paul was forced to explain it to them again and again because they were being led astray. Remember, he spoke of this back in chapter 11, where he says, and I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, so your thoughts will be led astray from a pure and sincere devotion of, to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims a Jesus other than the one we proclaimed, right, very common today, the Jesus of their imaginings who doesn't teach about hell, who doesn't teach about sin, who just loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. You know, that false Jesus, there's no such thing as another Jesus. But he says, if they come preaching another Jesus, then the one we proclaimed, you receive, or you receive a different spirit than the one you received, they had received the Holy Spirit, and they had received it in power. People speaking in tongues and prophesying and proclaiming glory of God. And they had all witnessed these things. But if you receive some different spirit than that, 
Or you receive a different gospel than the one you accepted? There's only one gospel, that different gospel being taught. Paul has already condemned those teachers in Galatia to hell for their teaching. It says, you put up with it readily enough. Remember when we talked about that, they put it up with, you know, they're peaceful, they're loving, they're open-minded. And they put up with all these wicked, godless, anti-Christian teachings. Indeed, I consider that I am not the least inferior to these apostles, he wrote back in verse 5. Now, these apostles, false apostles were claiming to be superior, and he's been refuting their claims throughout the entire book. He gives a long list of ways in which godly servants, servants of the one true living God, commend themselves. Back in verse chapter 6, verses 3 through 10, and I want to read that. He says, we put no obstacle in anyone's way. He doesn't want anything to interfere with them coming to Christ. Not his personality, not his practice, not his teaching. He wants it all to be right for bringing them to Christ. Not bringing them to himself, not making himself rich. None of the things that are obstacles to coming to God. He says, we put no obstacles in any way so that no one may be found no fault may be found with our ministry. But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way. You know, by saying commend themselves, these are the things that make us obviously servants of God, the things that glorify God. And he says, by great endurance, in afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hungers, now, those are the negative things that he suffers as a minister and a minister of God, a true apostle of God, will willingly suffer those things for the glory of God and for the work God has given them. And he continues, by purity, knowledge, patience, kindness, the Holy Spirit, genuine love, by truthful speech and the power of God, with the weapons of righteousness for the right hand and for the left, through honor and dishonor, through slander and praise. We are treated as impostors, yet true, as unknown, yet well-known, as dying, and behold, we live, as punished and yet not killed, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet making many rich, as having nothing, yet possessing everything. These are the characters he's demonstrated in his own life and in his own ministry and characters that should belong to a true apostle and characteristics that should not belong to an apostle or a teacher or a pastor or an elder or anything. We've talked about it before, but they had many ways of putting down Paul and elevating themselves. And this goes back to the, the basic Greco-Roman philosophical idea that you follow the wisest teacher and become with his wisdom and you will have some of his success, some of his desirable qualities of life. They seem to be mocking Paul for being poor and destitute and having nothing and not being able to get support and saying, look, I'm wealthy. I get all this money from the church. I get all this money from the people. Follow me. And surely we have heard that, right? Oh, but so-and-so's ministry is worth millions of dollars, and you, know, you say we shouldn't listen to them. 
That was the problem Paul faced. But he was with the psalmist. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup, and you shall not, and you hold my lot. I'm sorry. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. Psalm 16, 5 and 6. Paul was not concerned with the treasures of this world because you can't take them with you. He was storing up treasure in heaven so that when he went to be with the Lord, he would have treasure. And he would hear the Lord say, well done, my good and faithful servant. They wanted to follow somebody who would make them rich. He was poor, yet making others rich. He possessed nothing, yet he had everything. He had eternity with God. In verse 13, he said, For in what way were you less favored than the rest of the churches, except I didn't myself did not burden you? He was not taking their money to make himself rich. He was not even taking their money to get his daily necessities. He was getting from other churches because he didn't want to appear to be like one of these false teachers who was just in it for the money. And when a pastoral candidate comes and his main concerns are how many days off a week he gets and how many weeks off a year he gets and what his salary is, you got to kind of worry. What's his interest? Paul is saying, I, I set all of that aside so that I could focus on the most important things not getting in the way. But he says, you know, forgive me this wrong. Why does he say, forgive me this wrong? Well, the humility he had, the care he had for the church, and the care he had to overcome the temptations of greed and covetousness. Remember in Romans, he talks about covetousness being a problem of his. And to overcome those things, he wouldn't take their money, and he wouldn't be like these false teachers. He wanted to have a way to separate himself from these teachers. So he didn't financially burden them like the gurus of their day did. And this was apparently being twisted not to show his integrity, not to show his love for them or his kindness to them, but they were slandering him as some kind of failure who lived in poverty. Paul had nothing but he possessed eternity in a place in heaven. And they seem to go on to say and. We catch this in many places throughout the two epistles to Corinth that Paul was hated, Paul was persecuted, Paul was driven from town to town. Is that the life you want by following Paul? On the other hand, they were successful. They were popular, they were respected, they were accepted. And if you follow them, you can be like them. But if you follow Paul... You'll face persecutions and trials. Now, Paul understood what was required of a Christian. He, he said, indeed, everyone who desires to lead a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, 2 Timothy 3, 12 and 13. Now, Paul understood these people were evil. They were deceiving themselves, they were deceiving others, and they were joining in this mutual deception that it's all about today and it's all about the money and it's the best life now is the purpose of our existence. Paul rejected all of that. They also seemed to despise Paul because he did not exercise skill with rhetoric. He was not cunning in the way that they were. Uh, 
these, these people, and we see them all around today. They can manipulate what you say and try to make you look like a fool. They can manipulate what the Word says and make it seem foolish to believe it. And they'll offer you better wisdom than the wisdom of the Bible in their minds. And they do this through the Greco-Roman philosophical tradition of their arguments and they're building them up. And sadly, you know, what I've said about lawyers is true about most people who practice rhetoric. They can defend either side of the case with equal vigor and equal skill. We can only defend, uh, we can only defend one, the truth. To the Colossians, he wrote, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. The Colossians also had this same problem that people were being, were being treacherous. And in fact, he goes on, that's Colossians 2, 4. In verse 8, he says, See that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the word and not the world, and not according to Christ. So Colossae also have this battle with the philosophers and their arguments. To the Corinthians, he said in 1 Corinthians 2, 3 through 5, I was with you in weakness and fear and trembling, much trembling. And my speech and message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest on the wisdom of men, but on the power of God. Now it's important to note that Paul's, talking about power, he's talking about the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit, you know, the laying on of hands, and they would burst out in praise to God and in prophecies and speaking in tongues. But he's also speaking of that letter written in the heart that we talked about. It was through his ministry they could see the power of God. They heard the message of Paul. God worked in their heart. They were transformed. You know, God took out that heart of stone, gave them a heart of flesh. They were a new creation in Christ. That is the power of God that we can see even to our very day. The ministries that can convert souls are the ones that have that power in them. Not the ones who make the best sounding arguments. And throughout this book, he's been exposing their sins and the sins of these teachers and the sins their followers are getting stuck into. And he concluded with a very harsh condemnation of them. Remember back in uh, verses 12 through 15 of chapter 11, what I am doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who claim in their boasted mission that they work in the same terms as we do. So these false apostles were claiming they were real apostles. They had equal authority to, Christ, to Paul in Christ and that somehow their teachings was better than Paul's and you should follow them. Paul's answer to that is, you know, is Christ divided? There's but one God, there's but one truth. Following men will get you nowhere. You need to follow Christ and the truth and the right teachings of God. So he continues... For such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, and no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. There's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. 
Now, pretty harsh. He's calling these false teachers, these false apostles, these ones who have brought in a different Jesus, a different gospel, a different spirit. <coughs> he has pointed out that they are not believers. They are servants of Satan. A very strong condemnation. He says in verse 11, that even though he himself is nothing, he ought to have been commended by them as a true apostle of God. Why? Well, verse 12, because the signs that mark a true apostle, and by the way, those are similar to the signs that mark a true prophet, had been performed with utmost patience among them. Now, patience is often in short supply in our lives and in our, some of our personalities more than others, but patiently dealing with the truth because people just can't understand it. Now, all our lives we've been taught the opposite of what God is teaching. All our lives of sin, we followed a sinful course and we could not understand the things of God. And when Paul comes and he is explaining these things and he is trying to teach them and he is showing the signs and the wonders that God has given him to authenticate himself, he had to do it with great patience because sometimes it's very hard. Some people God has fully ready. They believe in God and they're waiting for the knowledge and they hear the preaching and they hear the gospel and it's like, yay and amen. But for others, it's how can that be? And it takes time and patience. Some men seem to think that if you don't understand it at first call, then you don't have the spirit and you're not a believer and they should give up on you or denounce you. Anyway, Paul said he did these things with great patience among them, hoping for their conversion. And why not? Since God has been patient for 2,000 years, waiting for all the men he has designated to be saved to be saved. But what were these signs? Now, the Greek word for sign is used twice in that, sen that verse, that sentence, those two sentences. The signs of a true apostle. These are probably the, 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 the word can mean the proofs of the seals, the things that show you that it, something is true. The signs of an apostle would be the things then that authenticate somebody as an apostle. And then the second use, signs, wonders, etc., is more of the miraculous signs or the supernatural signs. The outright miracles like Moses and the plagues, uh, like the healing that Jesus and the disciples did, and Paul even did, was able to heal some. Even a man who uh, fell out of the window from listening to him throughout the whole night and fell asleep and collapsed down was picked up dead, and yet Paul healed him, and he was alive again. So those kind of miraculous signs were being done amongst them. And God did many other signs in the Old and New Testament to prove, to authenticate a prophet. Remember the, making the time go backwards, the sun go back on the steps instead of forward? Things like that were done as signs to the people that this is a true prophet. This person is speaking from God. And that's what we're talking about here. An apostle and a prophet, the same basic concept. They were speaking from God. Apostles were very special. There were lots of prophets around in that day, in 
the post-resurrection time, but the apostles were rather unique, and these were signs of their apostleship. There were other supernatural signs that are recorded concerning the conversion of believers, and I mentioned them earlier, but I want to read from Acts chapter 10, verse 44 to 47, concerning the first conversion amongst the Gentiles. Peter the Jew was saying all these things about the Holy, and the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? When Paul preached, when he taught, because he was an apostle, the, the Spirit could come upon the people who believed, and it was a way of showing them that, yes, this is real. His teaching is true. And so those kind of miracles, well, supernatural signs that weren't really miracles, the pouring out of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit, were done amongst them with great patience, that they might see, that they might believe, that they might understand. There are also non-miraculous signs and proofs given out through these letters. And they focus more on the apostle or the prophet or the pastor or the teacher's character, how their character is lived out in their lives and how it is lived out in their ministry and how it comes out in their teaching. And this is very important because it's the only thing we can really see today. We've already read how he commended himself back in 2 Corinthians 6 by demonstrating these character traits and not the other character traits. And he was one who preached the word, the whole counsel of God in season and out of season. Remember he said that to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 1 through 4. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is the judge of the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. That's the authority and the call that he's giving to this. It's pretty significant. And he says to Timothy, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. What does that mean? Well, probably when they want to hear and when they don't want to hear. When it's convenient and when it's potentially disastrous. And preach it how? Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Call out their sins. Call out the things that make them uncomfortable. Call out the things they need to do that they don't do. The things they need to stop that they are doing. And it says, with complete patience and teaching. There's patience again. For the time is coming when people will not, not endure sound teaching. You, know, you teach the parts of the Bible people don't want to hear, and like at MacArthur's church, they get up and walk out. They have no interest they cannot endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. For some of them, that's what these false apostles were, teachers who suit their passions, and they turn away from listening to the truth, wander off into myths. That was written long after 1 Corinthians, and Paul's life was coming to an end when he wrote that as a stern warning. But think about it. What got Paul into all those troubles in chapter 11? 
Well, a large portion of them, the troubles with men, came because he preached the truth out of season. He preached to people who were not ready to hear, people who did not want to hear, people who hated what he was saying and hated the God whom he represented. And that brings us to the next character trait of a true apostle and minister. They don't peddle the word of God for profit. They don't tamper with it to make it acceptable to people. Paul has condemned both of those, remember? For we're not like so many peddlers of God's word, but as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. Now, we should understand that in light of what he says on his way to be arrested in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 20, 26 and 27. He says, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. When we talk about peddling God's word and tampering with God's word, it can be done innocently by just passing over passages that offend. I've said this before, that's why I go through books of the Bible, so I can't be held guilty of picking and choosing the things that people want to hear and avoiding the things that are hard. Preach the whole counsel of God's will. Otherwise, you're just a peddler or you're tampering. And that was 2 Corinthians 2.17. 2 Corinthians 4.2, he says, We have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with God's word. But by open statement of the truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. So what's the opposite of what's right? The wrong is to cunningly tamper with God's word. What's right? Openly statement of the truth. Open statement of the truth. You know, preaching the whole word of God, he says. You know, sadly, tampering with God's word for acceptability and peddling God's word for the church, for the size of the church, the profit of the church, the size of the income, is common practice in our world today. We also see in Paul a character of being willing to suffer for the kingdom of God. Jesus said to everyone who would be Christians, if anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever will lose his life for my sake will save it. Luke 9, 23 and 24. Now think about that in Paul's life and in his ministry. He would share the gospel with the Jews who didn't want to hear about Moses was only teaching, leading you to Christ and now the Christ is the only one who can pay for your sins, your, your delusions that you earn credit with God and get to heaven by doing enough good deeds can't save you. He would tell them that even though they didn't want to hear it, even though they would consider it blasphemy, even though they would take up stones and stone him, even though they would bind him and flog him, even though they would beat him with rods and break his bones, he was denying himself taking up his cross because he knew that if he saved his, saved his life by peddling the word and tampering with the word, that he would lose eternity. Jesus nowhere calls apostles, pastors, teachers, or even Christians to live your best life now, as some say. But as Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable God, to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, and by the test, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Uh, think about that. Living sacrifices. Our whole life we are giving up the things, the pleasures of the world in order to follow Christ, in order to live a holy and acceptable life before God. We're not suffering for that. I mean, if you talk to a Christian who has given up their sin, you know, from the world's view, they have you know, forsaken all the important stuff. From the Christian's view, we have been freed from our bondage to sin, and now we are able to glorify God. Now we are able, having turned from our sins and forsaken it and hated it, we are able to draw near to God, perhaps for the first time in our lives, as we work towards maturity in Christian faith. And so our minds need to be removed, uh, renewed, rather, not removed. The world says we remove our minds. We say we're renewing them. That was a Parkinson's tangle of the tongue, forgive me. Uh, but by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We have the word of God. We examine the word of God. And the testing in mind here is we test it against the word of God. Is what we're hearing true or not? Is what we desire to do righteous or not? Is the way we are living our lives good before God? How can I draw nearer to God and enjoy that great, wonderful and joyful presence of God in my life? It's by putting away the things that offend God and doing the things that God loves. And so as we mature in our faith, we are more and more able to test and discern God's will in those things. True ministers are known for their love for the word and their desire to see people renewed in the word. True ministers are also known by, for putting the flock first, even at the risk of their own lives. As we talked about in chapter 11, you know, all of those trials, he's willing to do that, not because he wants to see the unbelieving Jews condemned more harshly in hell, but because he wants to see the, the few of them and the few of the Gentiles who God has called. He wants to see them brought to true faith. And he wants to see them live truly their best life now, not from a worldly standard, but from the divine standard. What is the best life we can live? One is living sacrifices. One where we take up our cross daily and follow him. One where we do all the things he tells us to do that cause us suffering, that cause us harm, that cause people to hate us. Paul puts that first, they're, they're good first, even if it means he's killed, even if it means he's hurt, he's flogged, he's beaten with rods, he's stoned. He cares about them. Why was he willing to go unpaid in Corinth? Because he cared about them, he loved them, he wanted them to have no stumbling blocks and being able to be accused of being greedy and covetousness and taking advantage of them was apparently a problem there, and he didn't want them that to stumble them, so he gave up on even his salary and trusted in other churches to support him or earned his money tent-making. 
We should notice when he was tent making, it was hard. And when the money came from brothers from over from other places, he was able to stop that and spend all of his time doing the work of the Lord, which is what he was called to do. Two ministers are also known for how they treat false teachers and their followers. This is sometimes hard to think of, but remember what we've read. Under the theocratic kingdom, what happened to false prophets? We read it this morning, Deuteronomy 13. They were to be killed. Those who were leading them to another God, another Jesus, another spirit, another gospel. In the Old Testament, under God's kingdom, that was pretty harsh. Under the New Testament era, they get condemned. We don't kill them. Because you never know, like Paul, they might be converted. Now that the gospel is open to everyone, and now that God is working in many hearts. If somebody had killed Paul for being an unbeliever, and opposing the church, and bringing about the death of the saints, he would never have written the letters he wrote. And we have a different, different command structure, different command and different leadership style from God right now. He is not divinely present amongst us as king of our nation. He is king of the world and calling out his people. False prophets also arose, Peter says, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 and following. False prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon them swift destruction. What is he talking about? Well, they're denying Christ. They're denying the sacrifice of Christ. Whether they believe it or not, whether they admit it or not, but a Christ who did not pay the full price of our sins on the cross and who did not impute that to us through faith is not a Christ who can save. It is a denial of the one who they say saved them, and they will bring swift destruction upon them. Many will follow their sensuality, and because of them the way of truth will be blasphemed. Certainly we see that in Corinth, right? A man had his father's wife. That seemed to be a matter of rejoicing to them, and even the pagans said that's evil. They understood. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Yep, peddling the word, tampering with the word to get their payment, to get their salary, to get their money. It says their condemnation from long ago is not idle and their destruction is not asleep. Wow, pretty strong words from Peter. But Paul says the same thing and John says the same thing and Jude says the same thing. It is an important thing. False teachers are dealt with very harshly in the Old and New Testament. But what about their followers? What about people who are duped and deceived? You know, Paul was concerned that just as Eve was led astray by the serpent, they might be led astray from living the proper life before God. Now, we already considered, we already read what Paul wrote to the second, in 2 Timothy 4 about preaching the word in season and out of season. Back in chapter 2, verse 23 to 26, he said, have nothing to do with ignorant controversies, for you know they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, 
able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. These are, this is the passage that I had to work on for more than a decade <laughs> to get where I am now because I wasn't gentle. I wasn't patient. They were wrong. They were wrong. Get rid of them. But that's not what God wants. Now, Paul does tell them you must silence the foolish talking, the foolish doctrine that these followers are talking about. But they need to be corrected with, with gentleness and endure the evil with patience. Why? Well, this is kind of the motto and teaching of the New Testament, that God may perhaps grant that God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth. And they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. What is our purpose? It is not to separate the sheep from the goats. That is not our job today. That is not the purpose we have. It is to call the sheep out of the goats. God will make the divisions later. You know, we are to be patient and long-suffering to do this. And note, in the Bible, there's nowhere that you will find it positively mentioned that a good teacher is the one who is wealthiest. The good teacher is the one who is most popular. If the world loves you, it's because you're part of the world, not part of Christ. If you're part of Christ, it'll hate you as it hated him. Nowhere does it say that your skill with rhetoric and your cunning with words is the way to win followers to Christ. So many today believe that if you, if you have the right words and the right procedures and the right techniques, you can make people converted to Christ. Is there no Holy Spirit? Is that not the work of the Spirit of God to, to call people and to transform their hearts? And how does the Spirit normally work? Through the truth of the word, the conviction of sin, the proclamation of the truth. Now, we talked a little bit about the reasons why we have these signs, their purpose. Well, to authenticate the true prophet, the true apostle, the, the true minister, the true servant of God. But we need to think about that a little more clearly. What was God authenticating? Oh, this is a good pastor, so you should follow him because he did a miracle. No. Is authenticating that their message came from God. If God wants to speak to man, in the Old Testament, they were messengers of the covenant. They would come and tell the, the kings and the other people that you have sinned and you're sinning and what you're doing, and if you don't repent, this will happen. And when they don't repent, this is what God has proclaimed for you because you haven't repented. And when they were carried off into captivity, he sent them to say, yeah, I know the God says, I know the plans I have for you. In other words, I'm going to bring you back from captivity. I'm going to bless the nation again. Give you yet another chance because your punishment is finished. They were the messengers who proclaimed the message of God to them. In the New Testament, particularly with the apostles, what were they authenticating? Well, the Messiah who is thickly veiled and heavily hidden in the Old Testament has now been revealed. And the doctrines and teachings of the, of the New Covenant need to be proclaimed, how do you know who to follow, who to listen to? You listen to the ones authenticated by God. Authenticated meaning that God had through 
miraculous signs and wonders through powers that men did not have, such as the laying on of hands, bringing them to speak in tongues. In that way, they would know this is the one God is authenticating to teach these new ideas. And the only way somebody is allowed to come up with new ideas is if God says, teach them to the people. And we now are not looking for new ideas to be taught. We have the scripture. We do not need new things. When the end comes, depending on your eschatology, there might be prophets again who will be speaking for God of his wrath and condemnation in the gospel. But not everybody believes that. Uh, otherwise, you know, what are we looking for? If this pastor is doing great miracles and he's telling us new doctrines, should we be going to listen to him? Well, many of those great miracles were found to be complete frauds and a deceiver is the worst of false teachers. Of course, there were things that de-authenticated a person. Right? They may have done a wonder, a sign. We read about that in Deuteronomy 13. If a prophet or dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or wonder, and the sign or wonder comes that he tells you to comes to pass, if he then says, let us go after other gods. Let me tell you about a Christ other than the one Paul taught you about. Let me tell you about a spirit other than the spirit, the Holy Spirit whom you received. Let me tell you a gospel other than the true gospel. Right? And they say, let us go after other gods, which you have not heard. Let us serve them. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Think about that. The contradiction, if you're following a false prophet, if you're giving ear to false teachers and to heresies, what are you not doing? According to this, you're not loving the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But the false prophet of, or the dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God. Very serious matter. So these signs and wonders that authenticated Paul and these other things that would de-authenticate his opponents were very important. And they marked Paul as a true apostle, showed these false apostles to be servants of Satan. And he's, that's why he's saying to them, you should have commended me because these signs have been done. You should know that I'm appointed by God to teach you these truths. And you should see that they are not. That they are nothing but servants of Satan. Now, we've kind of touched on it, and I don't have enough time. But I wanted to make a note about inspiration. Because we get the scriptures, they're recording to us the teachings of the apostles. And even though, uh, like Luke was not a, an apostle, but he was writing the account of, Peter, of Paul and the gospel worked out together with Paul in his own research and through the Holy Spirit was giving them uh, the inspired word of God. Not everything the apostles did was inspired. You cannot follow a teacher blindly. Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ. 
where he wasn't following Christ, they weren't to follow him. There's an interesting incident recorded in the Bible with Peter. Paul says, when Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Why? Well, men from James came, certain men from James came. He was eating, before that, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically so that even Barnabas was led astray. What was the problem? Well, that we're one in Christ. We're not Jew and Gentile in Christ, two churches. That's a heresy that persists to this day, but which was condemned. And so Peter apparently was repented of. Now you might think that he would have a grudge against Paul for doing this. But Peter was a godly man. He understood Proverbs 9, 8. It says, don't reprove a scoffer or he'll hate you. Reprove a wise man and he will love you. Peter was wise in Christ, realized his error and repented of it. And in 2 Peter, written long after the incident, chapter 3, verse 14 through 16, he says, beloved, since you're waiting for these in heaven and new earth, be diligent to be found in him without spot or blemish and at peace. Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you, according to the wisdom given him. So he's calling Paul his beloved brother. According to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters where he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things which are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people twist to their own destruction, as they do the other scriptures. Peter is equating Paul's writings that we have as scripture. Now, of course, not everything they wrote was scripture. In 2 Corinthians, there's a pretty good idea that there's a third letter written that we don't have in between 1 and 2 Corinthians. And we don't have it because it's not inspired. The God didn't see, have it maintained and the church didn't maintain it because it wasn't part of scripture. Of course, we see from time to time throughout history there have been third Corinthians written. <laughs> Not by Paul, but claiming to be by Paul. And when put to the test, particularly the test of you know, are they leading us to the Christ of the rest of the Bible or are they teaching a different Christ than the rest of the Bible, it becomes very obvious that these other books are godless heresies written by fakers trying to deceive us. And we shouldn't Pay attention to them. Uh, my point being, anyone claiming new doctrine needs to authenticate their doctrine. What right do you have to teach these new things? All the prophets of the charismatic movement today teach that Christ paid for our sins by being tortured by Satan in hell. That's their, their teaching. It doesn't exist anywhere in the Bible. In fact, it says, Jesus says on the cross, today you will be with me in paradise. So he didn't go to hell. He went to paradise with that man, to heaven. But when they do that, they often also then do miracles. Anyone claiming to be able to do miracles, anyone claiming to have a message from God, anyone says, God told me, needs to be put to the test of a prophet and an apostle. You know, what are your signs? What are your wonders? And are you teaching things that are in agreement with the word or against the word? Are you <coughs> trying to lead me to a different God? I'm not going to follow you. I'm going to denounce you. 
I shared before about an elder who when came to a fight at session and he wasn't getting his way, I always said, well, God told me that we'd have to do it my way. And I told the pastor that I would have challenged him. And you should have challenged him. You know, what miracle are you doing to show that God spoke through you? It's blasphemy to claim God spoke to you when, you don't, when he did not. Anyway, the point here being we can have confidence in the teaching if it follows the word of God. We can have confidence in Paul's authority to teach in the scriptures because he authenticated himself properly. And there are still parts of that. We don't see the miraculous powers that in, in presence now because God isn't teaching us anything new. We have everything we need here. It is complete for how to live our life. And so we have these tests, though, that on the non-miraculous side, the character and the teaching. Compare the teaching with Scripture. Compare the character to Christ and to Paul and to Peter and to the others. And then we will know, are we following somebody who we should follow or not? Anyway, it is good to know who to follow, and that is Christ. Let us pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder that Paul gives us of the importance of following the truth and how to recognize the truth. We thank you, Lord, that you gave such great and wondrous, miraculous gifts to the apostles that we might know they were the true apostles and the people of their day might know. And Lord, we thank you for giving us the test of your word to see whether a teacher is teaching truth and truly appointed by you or not. And Lord, we thank you for the character we see of Jesus, of Paul, of Peter, of John, of Jude, of many others in the scriptures that we might know what your servants should look like and how they should live. Pray, Lord, that you would encourage our hearts with this and encourage us to put more confidence, more hope, and more desire in knowing and understanding your word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our catechism question today, and could you go ahead and stop? I think it's better to stop at this point.